Praise the Lord. This morning we are going to share God's word together, but I'd like us to pray and speak to our Father before we share together. Can we just speak to the Lord and ask him to speak to our hearts today? Let's ask him that the Lord himself will visit each of us. I want us to pray for the touch of the Holy Spirit. I want us to pray for a divine understanding. Don't forget Jesus' description of how the word, which is a seed when it's spread. The Bible talks about four different levels by which the word is sown. To some, their hearts are like rocks. To some, it's a fertile ground. I wanted to pray that the Lord will speak to you. That his word will bring liberty and strength to our lives today. Thank you, Lord. We just trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you because you are the author of life. We have nothing of ourselves as sufficiencies in you. We want to thank you for the privilege to associate with you. The scripture tells us why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You died for us that we may live, and that we may live quality lives. Lord, the life that you have purchased for us was paid with a heavy price. Lord, we appreciate it. We thank you for that privilege that you have given to us. This morning we have come to another point in destiny. Every day counts before you. And so today is another day that has come that will never come again. We pray, Lord, that you would do a walk that time will not be able to destroy. Lord, that you will implant the seed that no situation will be able to overcome. That strength and power will be released as we feed on this eternal word in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We're grateful to you because of this privilege. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen. I want to give thanks to God for the privilege to bring the word of the Lord again today. And I want to appreciate um, the due opportunity to be here. I want to thank the Lord for his mercy and his faithfulness. Just before I continue, I'd like to say this to us. We sang a song, it says, The bliss of the glorious thought. That my sin not impart, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear no more. I think that is the most profound thing I can ever hear. That my sin not impart, but a whole has been nailed to the cross and I will never Bear it no more. I'm not sure that we will be able to comprehend what was accomplished on the cross. What was at stake, we'll understand. But what was accomplished I am not sure we will be able to understand him full until we see him face to face. As I read the scriptures in Hebrew of Hebrews chapter 6, many of us know this. Paul the apostle was sharing with the church, saying that if anyone, it is impossible for anyone after they have received salvation. I'm going to read exactly the way he says it. This is what he says. He says, For it is impossible 
For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and of the powers of the age to come. Oh. My prayer is that we will understand that the greatest miracle that had ever been done, that will ever be done, is redemption. That is the greatest miracle. Because actually redemption did something that many of us, many times, we don't pay attention to. I believe that redemption took me a step into the next dimension. By redemption, we have a foretaste of the glory that is coming. By redemption, I have come into a life that is not found everywhere. I want to say to you today, for many of us who are believers, if there is anything that should excite you, is a new creation reality. That as you are seated today, you may walk in the same office with people, but there is something that is in you. The Bible said the seed of God remaineth in him. The world does not have the seed of God. First Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says, the world cannot receive him because he is of God. He's talking about the spirit of God. There is something that you have that the world don't possess. That's why I know that we already have our step into the next dimension that is beyond the natural. Hallelujah. And this morning I'm going to share with us on what I call the unshakable kingdom. Hallelujah. The unshakable kingdom. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, that we read as a passage, the Bible begins to discuss about the experience of the people of Israel. What happened in Exodus chapter 19 when the people came together, when God gave an instruction to Moses to bring the people before him, let them sanctify themselves, clean up and prepare, and on the third day, they should come over and meet with him at Mount Sinai. Many of us remember Mount Sinai. And in that scripture, this, the Bible helps us to see that indeed when the people came close to Sinai, they saw what they did not think they would see. They saw the horror and the majesty of God. The very presence of the king of kings came upon the mountain. The Bible said there was earthquakes, there was thunder, there was smoke. So much so that even Moses was terrified. That's what the Bible says. And the people said to Moses, you know what? You can go and listen to him. We will wait. After you have talked to him, come back and speak to us. They were terrified. But all that we were seeing in Mount Sinai was when God was about to place before the people what is real worse, God was about to give to them the law. And he allowed them to see the horror and the terror that could be upon those who refuse him who speaks. And when the people saw that, if this is what we're coming to do, we are not interested. Of course, we remember the whole story. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, Paul was making a reference to what we saw in the book of Exodus chapter 8, chapter 19. The Bible says in chapter 8, in chapter 12, the Bible says, For and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. And the Bible begins to open our eyes to see the dynamics of grace. The power that was released through grace. And Paul began to discuss that now we are not come to Mount Sinai. But now we have come to the month of Zion. 
the city of Jerusalem. The company of the innumerable angels of God. I showed you what happened at Sinai. But now I'm showing you Zion. This is different. And where was Zion? Zion, many of us will remember, was where David was ordained king over Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5. That's the root word of Zion. Because that was a healer. That was a stronghold. In fact, it was called the city of David. That was where David was anointed. Of course, we know David was initially anointed as a king over Judah. But at this time, as God's time, it was right for David to become a king over his people. Perhaps he came to Zion and was anointed king in Zion. What is Zion? Obadiah 17. The Bible says, for, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, upon Zion, there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possession. So we saw that Zion was a symbol of freedom. Zion was a symbol of deliverance. Zion was a place of freedom for people to come and receive protection. Again, the Bible tells us in Psalm 125, the Bible says in verse 1, They that trust in the law shall be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but stands forever. The Bible tells us, as mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surround those who are his. There again we saw the Bible declaring Zion, that those who trust shall be like, they cannot be moved. There is something that the Bible helps us to see here in terms of grace. As I study the scriptures, the Bible declares that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We need to come to this point as a people. When we understand what was accomplished and the implication in our lives. As I look through the scriptures and I look at the body of Christ. I see that the intent of God is for us as his people to understand what he has accomplished in us. The Bible says here in verse 28 of chapter 12. Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom. Which cannot be shaken. We are receiving a kingdom. Which cannot be shaken. Here the scripture is saying with affirmation. That we need to know that there is a kingdom that we have received. That kingdom cannot be moved. That kingdom cannot be shaken. That kingdom is indestructible. That kingdom cannot be defeated. That kingdom overcomes all. That kingdom is eternal. Why was this said? Uh, let us know. God wanted us to know that what he has promised, I will use the political language, is not an illusion of grandeur. That's what the word promised. When they attain or they move into a position of authority, they promise, but they never fulfill. But God wants us to know that what I have promised, I'm able to bring to pass. I have promised you a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It will not be shaken. Now, what do you think these men were saying? What do you think they were thinking when they were talking? I'll talk to you about some of the things that were written. I was looking at the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. This is a man who was not learned. He didn't go to school. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Peter began to speak to the people. He said, look, we have also... A most sure word of prophecy. We are on to you do well. As a light in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arises in our hearts. 
Peter was speaking with so much assurance. I know what is coming. And I'm not disillusioned about it. It's a, it's a sure word of prophecy. Paul added his own words to it in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 25 and 26, Paul began to discuss our life in the spirit as a race that is run. And Paul said, I therefore run, not as uncertainty. I fight, not as beating the hair. I know what I am doing. The same Peter in 2 Peter, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, you know, when he was describing, was talking to the church, he said, we have seen him. The things which we have seen. The things which we have heard. The things which our hands have handled of the word of life, declare we unto you. We're not telling you fables. We have not come to present to you a cunningly devised fable. The reason why I'm presenting this word is what you will see. In the book of Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, down. You remember the story of three Hebrew men. Who in a strange land were called by the king that they should worship a brazen image. This man, I don't know how they did it, but there was something about this man. They looked at the king and they said, Oh king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, the God that we serve will deliver us. Is able to deliver us and we deliver us from thy hand. And if he does not, we will not bow down to this graven image. There must be something that they knew. There must be something inside them. You don't just talk like that at the face of death. They looked at a difficult situation and they said, you know what? We have seen beyond that. Some of us are here today. They've told you to change your resume. Don't. If you have known him, if you have found him, you will know that he that has called you, he knows the hand from the very beginning. A brother shared a testimony here. You have no need to do that. You know what? God has ordained your life. He knows every move that you make. He knows the place of your destination. He knows the job that you will do. He knows the spouses that you will marry. Some of us in our heads were beginning to calculate, why did I do that? Yes, you did it. Because it was preordained by God. And you know why? He has ordained that because he has a future in mind. What is a kingdom? The kingdom is the rule of the king. I don't want to tell us all the theological implications of this because we have a lot to talk about. The kingdom of this world are ruled by men and they have subjects. Is that not true? The kings are always very, listen to this, very condescending. The kings of the world. But our king is not. In fact, if you've read your Bible very well, our king decided to make all of us kings. That's how wonderful our king is. He did not make subjects. He said, no, you are not subject. In fact, he got to the level in the book, in the Gospels. He said, I do not call you servants. I call you friends. What a king we have. The kingdom of this world come and they go. They have expiration dates. If you have studied the book of Daniel, chapter 2, chapter 3, you will have seen several kingdoms that had come, but they did not last. You remember the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw? He saw the head of gold, which was a symbol of the Babylonian kingdom. Is that true? But the Babylonian kingdom did not last. And then he saw again, I think I wrote that down, there were a couple of things that Daniel saw. He saw the head, which, which symbolized the head of gold. But after that, there was, just give me one minute. He saw the arms, he saw the arms and the legs, 
which was a symbol of the Medo-Persian Medo Medo kingdom. He went further and saw the Grecian kingdom. And all of these kingdoms never lasted. The Bible tells us in that passage of Daniel chapter 2, at a point there was a stone that hewed out of the mountain and struck the image. And the image was broken into pieces, declaring the stone that was still coming. And what is that stone? It is Jesus. That no kingdom will last beyond him. He is the author of all kingdoms. His kingdom will reign over all kingdoms. And that's what we saw in that place, that every kingdom always have expiration date. Let me quickly move into the things I have to say. However, in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, the Bible tells us, after seeing all of these kingdoms in the book of Daniel, the Bible tells us that a child, unto us a child is given. Unto us a son, sorry, a son, a child is, a child is born and a son is given. And the kingdom shall be upon his shoulder. And it shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. In the book of Luke, the Bible says, of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Now, that's the king that we receive. And when you look at this, this is why the Jews could not believe when Jesus appeared. Because from prophecy, what they read was that the Messiah was going to come as a lion. They did not see a lion. You know what they saw? They saw a lamb. Their thought was that the Messiah was going to be a conqueror. You know what they saw? They saw a carpenter. How do you match the two? A lamb in the place of a lion. A carpenter in the place of a conqueror. So they could not believe. They could not understand. How is it that the Mezada was supposed to come in the form of a lion and a conqueror? Decided to come. Malleable and pliable. They couldn't understand that. And I have this to say to us. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, I'm grateful to God. Verse 12. The Bible says he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Not born of the flesh. Nor of the blood. Nor of the will of man. Verse 13. But of God. They were not born of the will of the flesh. But they were born of God. Now this leads me to the fact that if you are born once. You will die twice. If you are born twice. You will die once. The question today to many of us who are seated. How many times have you been born? How many times? <laughs> I would like the answer to be rhetoric. I'd like you to just... How many times have you been born? On uh, the most serious situation, 1989, I gave my life to Christ. And I happened to have a friend. I mean, I had a friend who was very close to me. I don't know whether I've shared the story before. When I went to him and I said, I don't know where Jesus is coming tomorrow. That's what they told us. But you better accept him today. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for you. And he said, what are you talking about? If anybody is going to tell me about Jesus, is he you? And I said, well, I don't know anything. But I, I just gave my life to Christ and I know the truth. This is real. And I remember that very Sunday we were together in church. I happened to go to church that very day. And I told him to come. I gave him a tract, 48 hours in hell. Those were the tracts that you to distribute in those days. 48 hours in hell. He got a tract. And I went back to school. I was already in college. I went back to school. By the time I came back, it was in November. By January, he was dead. And I remember I could never have understood how close it was to eternity. I did not realize it. And I remember his face. I remember everything that I told him. Because I said, I don't know. You don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. But he's gone. And you know what? The Bible says there is no repentance for you in the grave. And today if you're here, you're listening to me. The kingdom that we have received, you may not see with your eyes, 
But guess what? I have an unshakable kingdom inside me. Death cannot overcome this kingdom. No. The Bible tells us in that scripture that we read, there is a whole lot of shaking going on in the world. But there is a place where the shaking can never get into. The kingdom that we have received is a kingdom that can never be shaken. Kingdoms will come, kingdom will go. But there is a kingdom that has been purchased with the ultimate price of the blood of Jesus that can never be moved. If you're here as a believer, you've been walking wimpy and weak and discouraged. I understand. We are living in the days when there is a whole lot of shaking and it's going to happen. The Bible tells us in the book of Agai, I will shake the heavens and I will shake the earth. But you know what God said? He said, but the glory of this latter house shall surpass that of the former. Now, in the time when the scripture was written, they were talking about the, 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 the temple that was built during the time of Zerubbabel. But spiritually, by implication, God was talking about us. Saying that there is a people that will receive a glory. The saying that there is a people, that glory will surpass that of the former. It is not going to be based on the law. It's going to be based on grace. I will no more dwell in a building. I will dwell in the hearts of men. My kingdom will spread faster than dwelling in a, in a, in a, in a building. And so today as believers, let us understand the kingdom that we have received. Why is it that it is important for me to bring a word like this? It's because I know that in these seasons, many of us are facing two boys. There's an economic doldrum going on and people's hearts are becoming weak and discouraged. There is a moral assault. I don't want to call it a moral decadence. I call it an assault because whether you like it or not, stars have been thrown at you. If you want to ask me whether I'm saying the truth or not, just tune out your TV, not, not even cable, regular TV. Things are thrown at you every day. It's an assault on you. Today, many of us that are parents are afraid. How do we raise our children that they will follow what we believe? How is it that there are no other teachers that are waiting for our kids? Today we have seen in schools showing videos that are untold, that, are, that you cannot even imagine to kids, to people who cannot make decisions. That's the moral answer. Today we've seen political upheaval. I love to listen to news and I know that there have been a lot of threats from North Korea and from Iran. The nuclear threat. And many of us don't bother about it. We're in the United States. We don't care. But the president bothers about it. He thinks about it. Because you can never be sure when a man is indwelt by the spirit of wickedness, they can do anything. I'm telling you, they can do anything. Because today there is insecurity even in the most secure places. I was listening recently. recently somebody was interviewing Larry King. You all of us know him. And they asked him, of course, he always interviewed us what we see. But this time they interviewed him. And they said, <laughs> what in your life and in your career, what is the very thing that has ever surprised you? He looked down and said, 9-11. He said, I had never thought in my widest imagination that a human would kill himself and will ensure that he takes thousands alongside with himself. Insecurity, even in the most secure places. Today we have family unrest. I'll tell us stories. I know some of these, they are not something we, some of us want to hear. Recently, family unrest, I, I heard about a woman who decided to kill her own three kids and put them in the freezer. What was she going to do with that? A father decided to kidnap his own daughter and kept her in the basement for years. Raising babies through his own daughter. That is the generation in which we live. That is the reality of today. But I love Luke chapter 21 verse 28. Please, I want every believer to see that scripture. This is what it says. It says, 
when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. Anybody in the church hears that? When these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your head for your redemption draws near. That's what the scripture says. Luke 21, 28. Hallelujah. As I look at these scriptures and I look at what we're going through today, I see that when we come to realization of the kingdom that we have received, there are certain things that are peculiar with that kingdom. Hallelujah. When you have received the kingdom, Jesus taught us, as a member and as a part of this kingdom, you do not live by your own understanding anymore. You live by only one thing. You live by my word. Luke chapter 4 verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. As a believer, your kingdom will be inactive. What you have received will be latent. There will be no power and energy and strength in you if you don't live by the word. Through faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. Listen to me, church, today. Things are still being framed. Things are framed by the word. The word. How much attention do we pay to the word? I have this to say to us. In the natural, a doctor just left here. It's so easy. For us to compromise our health when we are exposed to certain infections. Is that true? The same way. Many of us are spiritually exposed without defenses. And we are compromising our spiritual strength daily. The farther you have from this world, the weaker you become in the spirit. This is what David said. In the book of Psalm 119 verse 9, David said, how can a young man cleanse his way? He said, by taking heed according to your word. Verse 11, that word I have heed in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Verse 97, David looked at the word of God and said, I have made your word. When I open your word, oh, how wondrous things are in your law. They are my meditations day and night. And you know what it says? It says, you, you have made my, you, you, through your commandment, you have made me wiser than my enemy. David went first and said, I know more than the ancient and I know I have understanding more than the teachers. Verse 105, David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my power. I love that scripture because it is a lamp and a light. Many of us never ever thought about that. David is saying, I know the difference between a lamp and a light. A lamp is for me to live by. A light is for me to affect others. Because a light shines brighter than a lamp. Through a lamp, I design. Through the light, I walk. I can discern, I can walk. I can discern, I can walk. I can know the will of God, and I can walk in it. David understood the, the dynamics. Psalm 1 1 Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. In his law does he meditate day and night. It shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He shall bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither. And whatsoever he does, he shall prosper. Psalm 19 verse 7. You know what David says? The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. Enlightening the eyes. And in verse 10, I love what David said. He says, more than honey, sorry, more than gold do I desire them. Even the very precious gold. More than the honeycomb do I desire your word. Through them, 
the servant is being guided. I want us to know today that there is power when we begin to live in the reality of the spoken word. That's what the Bible says. See that you refuse him not that speaks from heaven. We have a kingdom that is sustained. But where sustainability comes as we begin to live and pay attention to his word. And let me say this to you. Why is the word important? Your knowledge today is to the effect or to the proportion of the word that you have acquired. So, in other words, knowledge proceeds from, knowledge proceeds from the word. It is how much you know that the time is the knowledge of God in your life. Let me go further and say this. The Bible tells us in O.C. chapter 4 verse 6, My people are destroyed. They live ordinary lives for lack of knowledge. The Bible also says in the book of Daniel chapter 11, in verse 32, the Bible began to discuss the case of the people of Jews and the Israelites. In that Daniel chapter 11, the Bible speaks, when you read the Maccabees, the Bible speaks of a group of people. There is a man in that place, his name was Antiochus Epiphany. He was the youngest son of the Antiochus the Great. This Antiochus Epiphany rose up, they used to call him the madman. The reason was because he killed his own mother. Was a very difficult man. He went to nations and conquered nations. On his return, he decided to desecrate the temple of God in Jerusalem. And you know what? An average Jew who has understanding will not allow the temple of the Lord to be desecrated. This man brought swines into the temple. And this group of men, the Bible says in verse 32, the people that do know their God, they shall be strong and they shall do exploit. These men came together and they said, you know what? He has done his best. Now the temple of God is desecrated. We will give everything, including our lives, to secure the sanctity of the temple of God. You know what they did? They decided, we will fight Antiochus until our last breath. Antiochus was defeated because of the people who do not their God. There are battles that we have not won because of lack of knowledge. It's not because you have not prayed. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 9. The Bible says, through knowledge shall the just be delivered. There is a degree of freedom and liberty and release that comes as a result of the knowledge of God. Proverbs 1, 7, Proverbs 9, 10. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says, the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Knowledge. Knowledge of God. You know what I saw here? This is amazing. Because we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know what I see? We do not walk alone. Hello? Our king cannot be defeated. And we do not walk alone. You know the Bible describes this. And I'm going to use this analogy to describe it. As I was reading, I like to read a couple of things. Many of you know this if you're working in the Wall Street. They, they have two markets in the Wall Street. They call one the bull market and the beer market. The bull market is the upward market. The beer market is the down market. And also when you look at the Washington, I'm going to, just going to describe this. The two parties we have in the U.S., they are described with two different names. They believe that the Democrats are donkeys because they are stubborn. They believe that the Republicans are elephants because they have a lot of weight. But, you know, when you look at the scripture, that's all right. The Bible never describes us as lion, as elephant, as donkeys, as bull, nor bears. That's all right. You know what the Bible says? We have seen from all of these things that these animals have great strength. Is that not true? But the Bible shows us that we do not have the tenacity of a bear. We don't have that. We do not have the ferociousness of a lion. We do not have that. We do not have the aquatic ability of a fish. We do not have that. But there is something that we have. We have a shepherd. Psalm 23 verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But thou anointed my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. I don't have all of that, but I got a shepherd. That's an unshakable relationship. 
So read the scriptures, I noticed how did men respond to the shakings in their own days? The men that God had used. And I want us to observe these scriptures very well. Romans chapter 8, this is where I'm going to close because I need to close now. Romans chapter 8, this is what Paul the Apostle said. In Romans chapter 8 verse 37, Paul the Apostle said, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. <laughs> I like that scripture. It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. You know what it says there? It says we don't just win, we win big. That's what it said. <laughs> we are more. If there's a conqueror, we win, but we also win big. In all of these, I call Romans chapter 8 the book of all these. Because in the same chapter, we have read that the Bible says, What shall we say to these things? In all these things. You know, the, these things of life. How many of us know the, these things of life? You wake up in the morning, there is no money to provide food for your family. The Bible says, We are more. You wake up in the morning and you notice a pain on one side of your body. Your health is being threatened. But the Bible said, these are these things. These are these things. These are these things of life. But we're more than conqueror through him who has loved us. In the same chapter, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, all things work together for good to them that love God. Verse 28. All things work together. I've read this scripture over and I've quoted it over and over again. But you know what I noticed? There is a little bit of a grammatical challenge in that passage, if you read it. The grammatical challenge is that the things, all these things, you know, all things work together. The things become a subject. Where works become a verb. English students. How can the things be a subject? The things don't speak. The things have no volition. Things don't make choices. They don't make decisions. How can these things work together? And then I check in NIV. NIV says, but God is at work in all things. <laughs> it says, God in all things is at work. You know what I see? My, on Thursday, we were told that the mother passed away. We used to talk about amalgamation. The, the Bible is showing us there that in the midst of all things, God will use the amalgamation to bring the best for your life. God will use the mixture of the days of little pain, of the days of little tears, of the days of abundance. But all of these things are working together to the good of those. When you're working through difficult situations, God does not want us to be afraid. I'm not done with that chapter yet. Because as I read that chapter, I many of us read Romans. If you read Romans all over again and all over again, I noticed something. That chapter seems to be like a hinge in between two walls. It's like a hinge between two things. Because if you read from chapter 1, the Bible speaks about justification. It speaks about the power of gospel to save. But in that chapter, it began to discuss about the liberty and the strength and the power that we have. In the last chapter, the last chapters after chapter 8, it began to discuss about the duty. The duty that we have as believers. The place of Israel. In the, things, in the scheme of things. In the last chapters of that book. But in that chapter, you know what he said again? He says, Who shall separate me? From the love of God. Who shall separate me? From the love of God. Paul was a very careful writer. Paul said, who shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or difficulties? And then he went further. And he stopped a little bit. He came back to it in verse 39 and said, I am persuaded. Now let me just quickly talk about this. Let me quickly talk about it. Because Paul, who shall separate me? It's a very difficult statement to believe. Because Paul said who, but he was discussing things. He was discussing what? But he said who? You know what I saw there? Behind every what in our lives, there's a who. There's a who. When you see things happening, there's a who. That's what Paul was trying to describe. But you know what he said? Who shall separate me from the love of Christ? And then in verse 39, he says, I am persuaded. You know the meaning of that statement? I used to be afraid of things, but now my position has changed. I am persuaded. 
I have repositioned. My paradigm has changed. There is a shift already in my understanding. I know now what I didn't know before. I used to be afraid of things, but not anymore. I am persuaded that no life or death or things now or things to come. In other words, there are things that will come now. But the Bible says, don't even bother yourself about that. There are things that are still coming. Paul said, I care no less for any of them. Damn it, that they say here. Whichever one is coming, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know what the Bible says? It says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Those are powerful sentences. Not to leave you means I'm not going to stay behind you. I will be right in the midst of it with you. Forsake you means I will not go ahead of you. You will not be searching for me. I'm right there with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's why Paul said, who shall separate me? Now, some of us are here today. If you're born again, you have an unshakable kingdom. An unshakable kingdom. Life will come and throw anything at you. Remember this. There is an unshakable kingdom. And our king cannot be defeated. I'm going to close with this story. Many of us may have heard it. This story talked about a man who, many of us who are reading books will have read it. A man, together with his friend, came to a museum. When they got to the museum, uh, they saw in the museum a couple of things. And when they got to a particular picture, they stopped. The friend said, please, can we wait here and take a look at this? When they saw the picture, they noticed that there were two people playing in a chessboard. How many of us heard the story? Two people were playing chess. But I noticed the two people that were seated on either side of the table, one was portrayed like a devil. The other one was portrayed like a bewildered, perplexed man, beaten and almost destroyed on the other side. But the man decided to look on the chessboard and he noticed something. And he told his friend, can we wait a little bit and take a look at this? He looked and looked and then he said, something is wrong with this picture. Because on that picture, they wrote, some of us who play chess, I don't, they wrote checkmate, which means the game is over. Is that not true? For those who play chess, the game is over. As they look on the other side, the man looked again and looked at the game and said, no. Who is it that painted this picture? Something is wrong with this picture. He said, call the man, is it that he changes the title of this picture or he will repaint this picture. Because he said, I noticed from this picture that the game is not over yet. I noticed that the king on this chessboard still has one more move. There is one more move for this king. This chess, this game is not over. Because the king has got one more move. Let me say this to us today. Every experience you have in life, always remember, God will never be outdone by the enemy. God, when he has never lost a battle, is not going to lose on your case. Listen, when Moses got to the Red Sea, Pharaoh was coming at the back and the hamlet of Egypt. There was heel on the right and heel on the left, and here comes the Red Sea. I can imagine the people were shouting, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because that's a natural response of man when the adrenaline begins to flow. Where do you run to? To be killed with a sword or to run into the icy? They didn't know what to do. But I can hear Moses saying, will you please keep shot? I've heard a word from heaven. And the Lord spoke to me. Stretch the rod. And at that moment, the sea parted. Because I know when things become very difficult, the king still has one more move. When it appears everything in your life is gone and forgotten, the king has got one more move. Some of us are stressed day and night and it appears there is no way out for you. You've tried everything you know how to try. In fact, people have said, well, I think you're just empty. You could have forget about it. Don't forget about it. Don't forget about it because the king still has one more move. Whatever I think, I'm hoping that God will do. 
and I've waited years and years. Some of us are here as singles, and you've waited for a miracle, and it has never come. And you have reserved in your heart, I'm going to throw in the towel. Don't. Don't. Don't throw in the towel. You know why? The king still has one more move. Whatever may be going on in your circumstances, the king has got one more move. Jesus got to the cross, and the enemy thought this is it. We got him. Unknowingly to them, Sunday morning. You're on your Friday already, and the enemy is wagging their tongues and they're rejoicing over the situation. But you know what? Your Sunday morning is coming. Because on the Sunday morning, the king has got one more move. There is another move that is coming. God is prepared to do something new in your life. Can we rise up to pray? He's got another move. He's not moved. The Bible says we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Never be shaken. If you're here this morning, this is the first call I'm going to make. This is very critical to God. I want every eyes closed and every head bow. We have come to discuss a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This kingdom can only be attained. You can only be part of it as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Like Nicodemus came to Jesus, how can a man be born twice? And Jesus said, except to be born of water and of the Spirit, you shall never enter into the kingdom of God. This is your opportunity. God has been waiting for this time all your life for you to respond to the call of salvation. Don't forget, the shaking in the world, everything in existence will be shaken. The Bible said the things that cannot be shaken will remain. The only thing that will remain is a relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you have come, maybe somebody invited you to church. This is an appointment with destiny. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to raise your hands above your head and say that I want this Jesus in my life. I want this relationship with Jesus. I need this life that you're talking about. I need this king. I want to be part of his kingdom. Can you lift your hands above your head? I'm about to pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. Want to leave your hands above your head?